0: We have some lights out problems here, so <clears throat> the lights won't be on to shine on me, which I think that's a blessing to you. Uh, I told the, uh, the guys that, that you probably could have no, no greater th- blessing than to not have my face illuminated before you for a very long time. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll bless God and thank Him for that. Um, Let's just start out, again, uh, bow with me in prayer, um, and let's, let's pray and ask God to, to open our hearts. Father, um, uh, as, an, as a needy people, we come before you. As we've sung humbly, bowed in your presence, acknowledging your, your sovereignty, your grace, but also, Father, I pray that in these moments that you would uh, give us clarity of thought, give me clarity of speech and and thought, and anything unhelpful, uh, anything uh, uh, unuseful, uh, anything that doesn't exalt your name, I pray that you would just banish it from our minds. Father, what we, what we need, you have, and you've given it to us in your word, so Father, I pray that we would as we diligently look and seek to, to know what you would have us do in our lives, with our lives, in our world. I pray that you would make it clear to us, from your word, to our hearts, we wait on you, in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, last week, um, in the last couple of weeks, I've had the the, the privilege to uh, speak to to all of you about some... Wonderful truths from the book of of Titus, um, truths about what God has done by His grace, truths that say that He came, that He's appeared in the person of His Son, truths that He that that this grace transforms us. It it teaches us. It's a it's a mentor to us in teaching us what to say no to and what to say yes to and how to please God. Uh, grace that gives us hope, a hope. That, of the return of Christ and salvation and eternal life with Him. Uh, I want to be where you are. That hope will be realized by those who are His children in a time to come. And the truth last week that we that we looked at, that, that grace transforms us, makes us something brand new. It takes us from a place here, as, as Steve shared in Ephesians, it, it translates us, it redeems us. It takes us from the from the kingdom of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ, and it makes us new. It makes us His own. It makes us the adopted children of God. And if you recall, in in the two major passages that I talked about last week, which were Titus chapter two verse fourteen and Ephesians chapter two, uh, actually verses one through ten, but Ephesians chapter two verse ten, uh, in emphasis, both of those passages last week the culmination of this transformation that grace performs is the same and if it is true that we are redeemed from wickedness by Jesus atoning death made innocent before God purified to become his very own and eager to do what is good the burning question at least to me is what is good if, if, as Ephesians 2:10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance to do, what are these works? Certainly, there is a, a, a wide range of good things available to be done in our world, as well in our chur- as in our churches there 's philanthropy there 's political reform uh, there 's a right to life there 's dealing with pollution and deforestation all of these things are good things and as many of you know by experiences here as well as in other places uh, 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 church work can can a church can actually work you to death okay there 's lots of work to be done here uh, but at the risk of of uh, of uh, alienating some I guess Uh, if this is all the good you're doing if all your effort toward impacting your your world remains within these walls you're woefully short-sighted and possibly terminally introverted when it comes to the call of the Christian to doing good this has been on my heart for a while and I've told several of you that I believe and I believe I've said it actually from up here that a church does not exist to maintain itself But church exists to see those who are not yet a part of it become a part of it. That said, it seems to me that one of the primary good works we're supposed to be doing is telling others about Jesus. Revealing Jesus to a world that is enamored with philanthropy, political reform, environmental concerns, the economy, self-gratification. That's part of our work. Thus, I've titled this message, if you want to have a title, Engaging Your World, Part 1. Part 1 is the rules of engagement. And I'm talking about your world, our world, but your world specifically. Each of us has a world. Now, this is not like the teaching that each of us has a world and we're, we're controlling it and that kind of thing. That's another r- religious doctrine. What I'm talking about is that each of us has a world or an environment that we live and walk and breathe in each and every day. Some are filled with business and bosses, some with cradles and crying. All are filled with family, friends, and acquaintances who do not know the saving grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. They walk alone and without hope. And we have the message of reconciliation. Remember that Second, that second Corinthians says, we've been given this message of reconciliation as if we were speaking, as, as if God was making His message known through us. And we have the message of reconciliation that they desperately need to hear. So how are we to perform this ministry of reconciliation? How are we to to disseminate this message? How can we be Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us? Let me suggest from Scripture, since Scripture is the sole authority on this message and ministry, a few things we ought to do and not do in performing this good work of evangelism. All these may fall under a heading of rules of engagement, like I said. And if you like, we'll look first at the negative aspects and then the positive aspects. The negatives, or I've titled them, at least in my my little uh, outline here, the do-nots. Okay? First of all, look in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 6. There are several things in here. We'll stay in here for just a little while. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And it says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's just the first four verses of that passage. Um, I've. This is just basically, and I, I hear this so much, and it is something that really uh, ha- has impinged on my heart uh, when I speak to people, especially in my work. At my at my work, one of the, if not the main reason that they cite probably the most prolific reason that they cite is that the church is so full of hypocrites I just don't want to come I can't believe in that I can't believe that because the church is just so full of hypocrites and that's what's being dealt with here by Christ when he speaks about and in the NIV which I read from uh, the, the words acts of righteousness are in quotes so it starts out with quote be careful not to do your quote acts of righteousness unquote and this uh Notice, noticing how these are in quotes with the hypocrite an act of righteousness is an oxymoron because an act of righteousness is based on a, a motivation that says look at me watch what I do see how I act and give me praise for it and look at this list it talks about when you, when you, when you do your giving so mercy and giving in, in verse 5 when you pray So prayer and petition. And then, when you fast. Fasting, seeking God, devotion to God. All these things seem like a list of good works in themselves. But the motivation is the thing here. Again, I've told many of you uh, that, that the world is watching. The world is watching what we do. Everyone is a teacher. Everyone is an example. Everyone who claims the name of Christ has a walk, and that walk must illuminate Christ. It must bring glory to Him. If that is not the way we're walking, if we are not different in our homes, in the grocery store, in our work, in our schools, then we are no different at all. And the world looks at us and says, there really doesn't seem to be any big, big difference. There really doesn't seem to be any big deal about this Christ and this salvation thing and this and this going to church and this and this being a part of a body, there really doesn't seem to be anything different in them. Um, in his, in his uh, devotion morning and evening, uh, Charles Spurgeon writes, "The enmity of the world is bitter in assault against the people of Christ. Men will forgive. A 1,000 faults in others, but they will malign the most trivial offense in the followers of Jesus. Instead of vainly regretting this, let us make it work for us. And since so many are watching for our collapse, let it be a special motive for walking very carefully before God. If we live carelessly, the watching world will soon see it, and multiple tongues will spread the story, exaggerated and emblazoned by the zeal of slander, They'll shout triumphantly, See, see how these Christians act. They're hypocrites to everyone. And so great damage will be done to the cause of Christ and His name will be greatly maligned. The cross of Christ is in itself an offense to the world. Let us us take care that we do not add offense of our own it is a stumbling block to jews let us ensure that we put no stumbling blocks where there are enough already it is folly to the gentiles let us not add our folly to give apparent reason for the scorn with, with, with which the world lead, the worldly deride the gospel how concerned we should be with ourselves how rigid our conscience in the presence of adversities who will misrepresent our best deeds And impugn our motives if they cannot censure our actions, we should be circumspect. Like pilgrims we travel under suspicion. Not only are we under surveillance, but there are more spies than we imagine at home and at work. If we fall into the enemy's hands, we may sooner expect generosity from a wolf or mercy from a fiend than anything like patience with our infirmities from those who who spice their infidelity toward God with scandals against his people. All that, all of that treatise from Spurgeon is played out every day in our workplace, in our homes, in our churches, as people come and watch to see what we do. And they watch. And the, and the world does not need much prompting to disclaim, deny the claims of Christ on their life. Because we know that it's not a natural thing to seek God. It's not a natural thing to come. It's not a natural thing to be transformed. It's a supernatural thing. And as people watch us. They stand, stand and say. Well he's like this. Or she's like this. Or they're like this. And if they don't see a difference. If they can't see the light in us. If that light is not coming out of us in our walk, in our ways, in our manners, in our words, in our deeds, then they see no light at all. And the world stays dark, and they stay dark. So do not, do not be a hypocrite. Do not do the things that you do to be seen by men. And do not stand before your friends and neighbors and deny the one who saved you, the one who died for you, the one who, who transformed your life, And then say nothing to them. Do not also worry about things. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. This one really blew me away. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they who of you by worry can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes grass of the field, which is here today gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Don't worry about sustaining your life. It talks about what you will drink. God gives provision in His sovereignty. That's the underlying theme of this statement. Life is not to be consumed with whether we will have enough. But isn't that what the world tells us every day we need to occupy our time with? In my, in a, in a, in my feeble attempts at, at technology, I googled. I think that's the real word now. Although my spell checker couldn't find it. Uh, I googled retirement planning. And in 0.18 seconds, I was looking at results 1 through 10 of about 5.1 million. 5.1 million. That was mind-boggling to me. 5.1 million sites devoted to making sure that you have enough when it's time to have enough. When they say it's time to have enough. Don't worry about how you look. about your body or what you will wear now there's a topic for discussion in our world today the preoccupation with physical attributes has gone beyond obsession to fanaticism again I did an internet search for the word fitness and in even less time 0.09 seconds I was again viewing results 1 through 10 of about 508 million you know what the third website listed was? WW, I just, my daughter laughed when I www.self.com That preoccupation with self. To do a little more study on this, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a finance guy, so statistics and stuff like that, I just get really stoked about, okay? So you had have to bear with me. The American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery published on their website press page that 11.7 million cosmetic procedures were performed in 2007. The top surgical procedures performed in 2007, by the way, guys, don't start laughing because it's men too. All right? The top four procedures were. Liposuction, breast augmentation, eyelid surgery, and abdominoplasty or tummy tuck. Now, as far as I can tell, from what little I might know about those things, none of those has to do with reparative surgery or fixing anything that really is a problem. Okay? It's all about aesthetics. That's why it's called the aesthetic plastic surgery. Uh, The leader in non-surgical procedures, because they have those too, is, I'm sure that most of you probably can know this, is Botox injections with 2,775,176 procedures performed in 2007. 2.8 million times people had stuff shot into their them that deadens their nerves and supposedly makes them look better. The site also boasts that Americans, this is a quote, Americans spent just over $13 billion in cosmetic procedures in 2007. Now, thirteen billion. I would have. I should have gotten a graphic up there with all the zeros behind it. Okay, that's thirteen with nine zeros behind it. I looked at this, and you know that I work out at the plant, and my wife got a real kick out of it. I, there's a site the CIA manages uh, that, lets, that's, that uh, looks at and keeps <laughs> record of. I say, there you go. Thirteen. That's that's million. Three more zeros. There you go, $13 billion. There it is, 13 billion. Uh, There's a site the CIA manages that keeps up with this thing called gross domestic product. Now, I, 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 in, at the risk of insulting some of y- y'all's intelligence, if you don't know what gross domestic product is, I'm going to tell you, okay? Gross domestic product is all the goods and services generated inside the borders of a country in a single year. The value of all the goods and services generated inside a country in a single year. Gross domestic product, right? Get this. Another wonderful stat. $13 billion is more than the 2007 gross domestic product of 40% of the world's countries. That's what we spend on plastic surgery in a year. And what about clothes? Well, what about clothes? Maybe instead of concerning ourselves with being on the cutting edge of fashion, we should be concerned with God's name and His glory. And I'm going to step on toes here, but that's all right, that's what I do. Because much of the stuff I see out there now costs far too much and covers far too little. (laughs) That may be a topic for another venue. And as the old timers would say, maybe I have stopped preaching and gone to meddling okay but it is of concern it is of concern men ladies it is of concern and it is of issue because the world watches the world sees and the world watches us and they watch what we wear they do they watch what we wear and and if there's supposed to be a difference if there's supposed to be something recognizably different about the people of god then maybe that's a good place to start in what we wear. Not being concerned with will we wear or how will we wear it or what will we look like when we wear it or is this straight or that straight or is this fit or that fit but just is God glorified in what I'm doing. Because in all things, God has exalted above all things His name and His word in His world. And He is the Creator, He is the Sovereign Lord, and we are to glorify Him in all things. And that means what we wear, too. There's no part excluded. Remember what I said last week. If He has redeemed us from all wickedness, that is an inclusive statement, and we have no excuse and no place to run. No dirty little corners. No hidden things that God will wink at. Because God will not and does not wink at sin. He destroys it. And it's to be destroyed in our lives. We're supposed to mortify the flesh. Kill the things that we desire. And desire Him most. What's the punchline? Well the punchline is at the end. in, In verse 27. Who of you by worry can add a single hour to his life? And at the end of the passage, in verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own. That's why I said amen, because doesn't it? Doesn't each day have enough trouble of its own? Without us adding the worry that we can generate into it. And again, which of us by worry can affect anything and what have we found is the is the actual actually the inverse of that worry doesn't do anything productive they say that it can help kill us at least it can ruin it it can surely help mess up the quality of our lives so don't worry second don't third one do not be greedy matthew chapter 6 and this is kind of in there too this may be the pieds de resistance of Christ's teaching in this passage. The link between your heart and your treasure will be evident. Okay? Starting in verse 19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where, where moth and rust do not destroy. where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also how many times do we hear those things as children as we grew up over and over again I did over and over again I memorized that verse as a child in the King James okay and as it impinges on my heart now where is my treasure where is your treasure where is our treasure Where does it reside? Does it reside on this earth? Because if it does, our focus will be on this earth. The eye is the lamp of the body. Verse 22. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that that is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this statement by Christ, he, as He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Our treasure is, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts cannot be... And, and men, men, listen to me. Focus. Listen to me. If your identity and who you are is bound up in what you do at your job, in the, for Christ's glory, for God's fame, break away. Break away. Because that job... Is provision in Christ's in God's plan through Christ for your life? It is not your life, and if you are devoting your time to that and denying your time to your family, to your church, to God Himself, then you're missing the point, ladies. Same thing. There are many, many things that can be placed as treasures. If, if, if. If the job that you have, if the group of friends that you have, if the group of friends that you don't have, are what consume your days and consume your thoughts and consume your hours, then the consumption is to death. We are to be consumed with God to life in Christ. We are, and it's, it's spoken many times, I don't know, I don't remember, Ben, whether we say it, uh, but in the baptisms when I was younger, they'd say, Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to what? Walk in newness of life. New life. Different life. Not the same old thing. Not chasing the treasures of the world. Not planning, not hoarding, not putting away, not stepping back and saying, well, is that enough? Because I'm going to share with you, watch what you watch. Jesus, in speaking about the eye being the lamp, teaches us to be careful what holds our attention. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon learned the same truth when he said in Ecclesiastes one eight, "All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing." And as to emphasize this, as if to emphasize this point, Jesus adds a chilling reminder to say. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the thing that is is, is is illuminating us is actually dark, then how dark that really is. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear never has enough of hearing. I love to watch the show Numbers. I have several seasons of it at home on DVD. And I really love it. And there's one... Thing in there where they're talking to this guy, and he's 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 uh, obviously a multimillionaire, you know. Uh, he's the bad guy in the deal, but in that episode, but he's he's standing there, he's talking to to two of the guys, Granger, uh, and 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 uh, Colby. Now you may not know who those are, but those are guys in the show. Those are, good. <laughs> but but he he speaks. Uh, they're speaking to him, and he's standing out in his front yard. And he's, there's this huge house behind him and Rolls-Royce Cadillacs in the rent circle driveway and stuff like that. And, and uh, they, 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 he says, he's, he's talking about having making it. This guy's talking about making it. And uh, Granger looks at him and says, it looks like you've already made it. He says, take it from a guy who has enough. Enough is never enough. And isn't that the view of our world? Enough is never enough. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's not true. Because it's funny, two old guys, this is an old joke, but two old guys sitting at, a, at another friend's funeral and, and they're looking at one another, well, sorry Fred died. Well, me too. What did he leave behind? The other one says everything. Everything. We will leave it all behind. It will all go to dust. It will all be eaten by moths. It will all rust away. There's only one thing left. And I love it. I was in, I was in, in Ben's office this morning. And I saw in a frame, it says, uh, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus will last. That's it. That's absolutely true. The treasure is Christ. Yes, the treasure stored in clay vessels that fail and falter and bumble and stumble. But even in that stumbling, bumbling, and faltering, as we walk through this life as light in the world, we're used of God to good works, to things He's already set for us to do. And let me say this: if the light of the of the body is the eye, the lamp of the body is the eye. And great is the darkness if the light is dark. What about if we, the light, are walking out there dark? Well, how dark is the world then? We are light. We are children of light. The light came into the world and the world didn't know it. But we know Him. We've been transformed by grace. We've been made new by the the atoning work of Christ. And we're to step out of here and go out there and show it and live it and be the light. But if we're dark, if we're walking ourselves around in, 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 in staggering, groping, uh, a numbness of dark, how can we be light out there? My beloved, my friends, let us not get caught up in the things of the world and chasing after uh, the look, the act the thing, the 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 amassing of stuff, the storing of treasures. Do not conform. That's the base of it. Romans chapter 12. If you'd like to flip over to Romans chapter 12. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Many of you have studied it. Many of you uh, have have spoken it in and amongst yourselves. Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, Brothers, and listen to this, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I, you, many of you know also as I teach, I love to look at Greek words and stuff. The pivotal word here to me was pattern. Okay, and I looked at it, and actually, it's not one... It's, it's one word, but it's one word in the Greek, but it but it's, makes up several words in this passage. It's kind of like, I think, four words make up are, are, are one word in the Greek. The word is uh, cis, let me see. "sskimatizo."matizo." It's actually translated into the four words, in, at least in the NIV, conformed to the pattern. It literally means "to shape with a mold. And with the skill of an artist creating the exact likeness of a person's face, and with the blinding rapidity of injection molding machinery, our world takes people as raw material and spits out reproductions in its own likeness. Every minute, every day, the world is conforming those in it to itself. And I say... I don't know if you guys ever, if you get cable, there's this thing on the Discovery Channel called How Things Are Made. I love that show. I don't get cable, but when I get a chance to watch it, I love it. Okay, And, and, and it takes these things like toothpicks or matches, you know. Yeah. And you see, we have devised these marvelous machine, mechanisms that can just make millions of these things just whoa, one right after another. And that's what comes into my mind with this injection molding thing which, which, with, with what the world is doing. It takes everyone born into it because, and let me say this to you, it takes everyone born into it because we're all born in iniquity, conceived in sin. All of us have the sin nature. Every person born has a sin nature. And it works as hard as it can to take that person and conform them, to mold them into its own likeness into the same thinking, into the same actions. Oh, certainly people seem to be as as individual and unique as a fingerprint. But the thinking attitudes and passions are identical to what the world has passion for, to what the world looks like. And the end is an inability to discern God's will, no notion of pleasing Him, and in short, ungodliness. Listen to this. For I... um, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many We who are many form one body and each member belongs to the others. Different gifts, according to grace. If man's gift is prophesying, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If he's serving, let him serve. If he's teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. All those things the end none of those things i'll say this none of those things can be done with our eyes on ourselves none of those things can be done the way that god designed them to be in his church in the world if we are conformed to the world because where will i lead you if i were to ever have an opportunity to lead you where would i lead you if i am conformed to the world I would lead you to the things of the world. I would lead you to think like the world thinks. I would lead you to act like the world acts. If I were conformed to the image of the world, what would I teach you? Certainly not this. There are a few books that come to mind. And I would teach you those. I would teach you that your self-esteem is more important than God's name. I would teach you that it's important for you to be planning ahead. And that that should be the most important thing in your mind. But what I will teach you, and what I do teach you right now, is that those things don't matter. We're not to worry about them because they conform to the world. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And the battleground is the mind. Young people, young men... diligence and what's that other word? Anyone? Self-control. self-control. Good. It's sinking in. All right. Young ladies, we didn't talk about this very much. Purity and self-control. Young ladies, that those things are of God. The world will take you. The world will drag you as hard as it can into a life that, that gratifies yourself, that builds yourself up, that makes you feel good about yourself and denies who God is, what He's done, and our, and our inability to do anything for ourselves. And the world, what does the world need to hear? Does the world need to hear... You're a snowflake? Does the world need to hear you're special and God has a wonderful plan for your life? The world needs to hear the Gospel. Number five, do not be infants. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, actually begins begins and, and talks about the body and the unity of the body and what Christ did when he, when he left earth and that the gifts were given to do a certain thing. And, and starting in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to, to prepare God's people for what? Works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. The word infant is Nepeo uh, since translated here, infants, it also talks about. It has two contexts. It can be talk about uh, uh, childlikeness, but in this context, it's actually talking about childishness or or uh, um, infantile action. It's characterized by immaturity, and the wayward Christian will be thrown from crest to crest as the, as the waves mount. Now, which of us, which of you, I want to meet you after. This has not had waves in your life. Even the youngest. Things come into our lives. God allows things in our lives to purify us. To make us conformed. To bring us to Himself. And as these things happen, the immature, wavering Christian will go from crest to valley. I had that described to me when I was young, by the way. That was how the Christian life was, Someone told me. The Christian life is high here and low there and high here and low there and I was like, man, that just sounds really bad. Really rough. I don't like that. I don't like that. And and what I found though is that it's not. It's a struggle lots of times. And it's sure an upward climb. But it's an upward climb. It's this that's the walk. That's what God does for us. Because, and I say that's what God does for us because God has said day by day, glory unto glory, He's conforming us to the image of His Son and He does it through the peaks and valleys. If you want to call them that. The, the things that he brings into our lives. But when this comes into the life of, a, an, of an infant Christian, of someone who has not grown, however old they are chronologically, as those waves mount in desperation, this person will attempt to cling to each and every fanciful teaching and new idea that comes down the road. If you believe in nothing, you will believe anything. And that is the danger. That is the danger. Of of staying an infant. Now I got I got an email from someone here in the church also uh, about young men in this day and age. And there's a this thing in England they call it l- l- laddism. You know because in in England they uh, a young man is just a uh, is a, is just a or a lad is just a young man with a British accent. Uh, and, and uh, uh, what they're saying is that young men are staying adolescent longer. In the United States, in the past, I think, six years it was, uh, the average age of marriage for a man uh, went up three years. 47.5 years old, 47.5 years old. I think it's, th- I'm sorry, 47, 27, 27, yeah, that scared me too, man, woo. it's like, woo. I got married young, no, uh, 40, uh, 27 and a half years is the average age of, 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 of when a man gets married in the United States, and, they, and there's this whole group of, and this whole, genera- not generation, but uh, uh, demographic, of guys who uh, go to school, party too much, study too little, come home and live with their parents for till they're 30. And the questions that were raised were many and some of them uh, need to be addressed, but there was an ending to that uh, that said that the church needs to live like the church. And much of this type of thing will be dealt with. And so... I guess that's a little bit of what may be going on right now. Young men, young men, married, Um, step up, step up. Do not be infants, do not be tossed, do not be swayed. You know what the truth is. The truth is here, okay? The truth is here. I was talking to a young man earlier. Uh, from another church who came in and had some questions. Some, some really good questions. Uh, and and my, my advice to him was, hang in. Stay with the Word. And don't believe what anyone says. Unless it comes right out of there. And that's what I want you to do. That's what I'm saying to you right now for me. Everything that I have said to you at any time... in in any interaction that I've had with you, you push it through the Word. You push it through the sieve that really matters. And see if it comes out true on the other side. Because this is is where maturity is. This is where growth is. So young men, married young men, stay firm, stay strong, stay engaged. Young men, unmarried. I'm not going to tell you go get married. That's not it. The point is not that. The point is grow up. The point is be a man. The point is learn what this says. Learn what it means to walk humbly before your God and show his light in the world and get out there and do it. Let's stop being children. Do not live like the world, like the Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 4, again in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Do not live that way. Note the characteristics of this life: futile in thinking. It's a metetios in Greek is the word. This word means empty. The word futile means empty, empty and useless reasoning is evidence in the world by what it chases. Dark in understanding, this is an interesting phrase in the Greek. It states something very much like the words of Jesus that we looked at earlier. It is saying that their understanding or what they really think they have a grip on is actually blinding them, and as a result, they are separated from the life of God. This is not to be ungodly. They are that for sure, but this points toward the life that is given of God in knowing Him and how that life compares to one without Him. That's what this means. They are ignorant and hard-hearted, and these two play off of one another, so I've listed them here together. The ignorance of God that resides inside those of the world is there because of the heart condition of all who come into the world. And as as uh, he states in Romans 2 in detail, where he says that everything is evident uh, being seen through creation, but man has, has, has exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped the creature instead of the creator, and therefore God turned him over. He says in, in, a, in a little more congealed form here, uh, in a condensed format, that having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now read this verse. And let, let that sink in. All sensitivity, all rightness, all of things that ought to be gone, life becomes a continuous attempt to erase that emptiness emptiness by gratifying the senses. And it's never enough. Solomon was right. The eye never has enough. The ear never has enough. Well that's enough. That's enough of the do nots And I, I see that it's twelve o'clock and I don't have time to finish this, but what I would like for us to, to think of and reason of and I'd like for us to look at uh, as we come together next week is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Some of you will be familiar with that passage. It's the passage of the armor of God. And if all of these things we are supposed to avoid, not do, not be like, not conform to, this is not supposed to be characteristic of Christians, of those who walk in the light, what are supposed to be the things that Christ is, that God has given us, that Christ has given us to do the battle in the world, to do the good works. And they're listed here. They're listed metaphorically, so we'll look at them... Uh, Hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to look at them next week, in uh, uh, in context, in context to uh, the world that Paul was living in and the situation Paul was in when he wrote the book to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian church, and then in the context of our own lives. And then uh, we'll take a look at uh, the impact that these things had on Paul himself. Pray with me, Father. We thank you that. Uh, That you've given us such clear indicatives. Not indicatives, but but commands. Precepts. Of how we should walk and how we should not walk. Things that should not be the case for us as Christians. And things that should be. Father, I pray that that, uh, this time together has first been glorifying you. And I pray that not my words, not my ability or inability, but Your Word has impinged on our hearts. And that we will be different. That we will be changed. That we are being changed. We pray for Your kingdom to come and Your will be done here on earth as it is right now being done in heaven. We thank You for grace for the mercy for the, that transforms us into the image of your Son. We pray a, a request that, that uh, in each of us may the evidence of that, that transformation, that conformance to, to the image of Christ be evident more and more and more as we interact with one another, as we interact with our world, as we relate to our families. Father, I thank you for my opportunity in this. I pray that you would uh, now continue to glorify yourself through our worship in your name we pray. Amen.